0: Thank you, Ashley, and Band. Um, I am not Mike. Got a little more height, a little more hair. Don't press record yet on that sermon, please. Uh, You know, I'm. uh, He's on vacation. Been in ten for the week with his wife and kids, really getting some great time with them. So continue to be in prayer. He'll be coming back up probably today or tomorrow, uh, and he'll be back in the office this week. But it's a privilege to come to you today. Some of you right now in this moment are going, oh, dear Lord, is that the guy that when he prays for the offering, he can't talk? Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. Your nightmare has come true. Can I share with you, though, my nightmare as a young child would have been to go, you are going to have to stand up in front of a crowd and for 35 minutes speak to them and 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 uh, hold their at- attention, and I would have been like, no way, I will do anything else but that. And uh, the Lord has brought me here um, today to uh, do what my nightmare is, uh, because y'all are scary looking. No offense, but you know, you just are. Um you know, it's funny. My speech is is it's funny. It's, God has used it to shape my life in in great ways. There, it's when I was a, a young man in in middle school, high school, I couldn't say the number seven. There's a lot of things you're saying. Well, there's a lot of things you can't say. Well, that was one of them, like there's certain words I get stuck on all the time. So so seven was I can say it now. I've overcome that one. Praise the Lord and um. So, when I was in math class, and I was very good at math, I would always get it right but well if I was called on, and if the answer had the number seven in it i would I would just make something up and just say five hundred and sixty two and not seven just because i couldn 't say seven. it was just easier just to get it wrong than sort of take forty seven minutes to say seven so um that's changed. As so you can see, I can say seven all day long now. Um, as I progress, I've been called to the ministry. Now there, there's there's a lot of words I have issues with. Probably the hardest word for me to say is Jesus. Okay, let that sink in for a second. A Baptist preacher of the gospel. Can't say Jesus rule. Now, I'm, I'm doing all right right now just because I've, like, gone, you're going to say that word. Yeah. But so, so I've got to let you know that. Um, that word probably will come up quite a few times. And if I get stuck on it or not, I don't care. We're, you're just going to wait. <laughs> all right? So just wait and just just just, just smile at me. Um, <clears throat> I, one year, and, and back in 94, showing my age because you're thinking this guy can't be more than 25. Back in 94, I went on a missions trip to Africa for the summer, and I was excited to go. I had just sort of been really stepping out in faith and beginning to speak, but I was going to get to go there and have an interpreter that was going to be with me. And I was, when I got to preach there, I would be fluent for the first time in my life in front of the crowd because even though I may stumble through words, they the crowd wouldn't know that. My interpreter would speak, and, it would, and I was like, I have freedom, freedom, this is my calling, I need to go to missions, you know, this would save a lot. And so I go there, and there's a guy named Scout, and I'm gonna work with Scout the whole summer. And so I meet Scout, and we're talking. And so I pull Scout aside, we're a team about three or four, and so I pull Scout aside and say, Hey, Scout, I need to let you know something. I said, Don't freak out, okay? But sometimes when I speak, I actually, most of the time when I speak, I get stuck on words and I stutter. And so Scout goes, oh, oh, no problem, no problem. He says, I stutter too. (laughs) That's a true story. I go halfway around the world to preach the gospel fluently, and I am given a stuttering interpreter for the entire summer. (laughs) So can I tell you this? Above all else, I know our God's a great God with a sense of humor for sure. Um, you know, if, you know when, when you speak in front of crowds, they tell you different techniques. If you're nervous, there's some awful techniques they tell you. They tell you to look at the crowd and pretend everybody is undressed, which is horrible. I, I don't want to do that, and so I'm not going to. That's not going to help me overcome anything. Um, so don't try it if you're suggested it. I myself like just to pretend I speak just fine, and your ears are all jacked up. That's what I pretend. It's, it's you, it's not me, and that helps me just to cope with it. So I just, you know, y'all are all just messed up. Um, you know, we live in a society that's full of blame. You know, we're a blame game society, and it's sort of getting worse. There's always a fault. There's always fired from work because my boss didn't like me. I, I didn't do it in school. Parents, you've never heard this. didn't do it in school because my teacher teach or couldn't teach or they didn't teach well. So and they didn't like me so they gave me a bad we, we blame everything. There's always a fault for something and, and, and so we, we, we tend to be good at that. There was a story in the news about six months back that came out of Keller Texas and it was about a young man, 16 year old young man Um, from a rich household who went out with a bunch of his friends, went for a a, a ride in his truck at Ford F-150, and they stopped by a Walmart. They stole beer. didn't have to steal it. They had the money, but they just wanted to do it because they they were cool. Stole beer. They got it, and they went for a joyride. They went out for the night. Unbeknownst to them, down the road, miles away, there had been a car with a a lady and a young girl in it that broke down, was on the side of the road. It had something wrong with the tire or something broke down and a passerby in a car stopped to help them. And the person in the home near where they had, had got broke down, they came out to help as well. Well, this young man and his friends, he was 16 with a beer, drank a lot, and they got drunk. They're going down the road, lost control of the truck. They slam into this car that's on the side of the road with four people trying to work on it. All four are killed. Very sad story, true story. The, there were two more boys in the truck. One is Paralyzed still from the, I believe at least the waist down. They don't expect him to walk again. And one was hurt very bad, but he's expected to survive. The boy who drove the truck didn't get hurt that bad. That's always sort of seems to be the way those things work out. It went to um, the courts. Court system actually at the wreck, the the kid blew in the breathalyzer test. He blew three times over the legal limit. So everything was pretty clear. A lot had gone wrong in this case, and it had caused some dire very dire things to occur, not only affecting lives of four or six people, but just think of those who love them. And so it's countless. You can't even count the lives that were affected by this case. It goes to court. And and the court sort of with a case this extreme, there's at least a minimum of a 20-year jail sentence. The defense went by this with their case. They said, it was not this young man's fault because he comes from a rich household and his parents never put rules on him. He got whatever he wanted. And because of that, he didn't know Better, and so because of that it wasn't his fault. That's what they pushed for in the case that went to trial, went all the way through through trial. The young man was felt found guilty um, of some of the things that he was charged against, but all he received was probation time and no time in jail. Because it wasn't his fault; it was the fault of the parents. Do y'all think that's sad? Man, when I heard that case, I thought, oh, part of you go, man, that is not right. But now you feel that way and you, you're not even connected to the case because it's not his person's fault. It's the parents fault. But you know what? We, we're 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 blamers. We, we do it all. We blame stuff. And it goes back. It didn't start with us. We weren't the ones that started. it. You know, in the book of Genesis, there was a man named Adam and a, 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 a woman named Eve and they ate from a tree. Uh, in the garden that they were told not to, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate from the tree. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, God goes to Adam and he says, Adam, why did you eat from the tree? And this is what Adam responds back. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then God goes... it's a good thing I'm not God because I would just squash him right there and start all over. <laughs> but I'm not God. Praise the Lord. Aren't we glad? <clears throat> and when God asked Eve what, why she did it, she replies, verse 13, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Never do you hear, I did wrong. I chose to do wrong. I know it was wrong. Isn't that us? Eve, she blames the serpent. Adam, he blames Eve. But above all else, he blamed God. And you go, well, well, I, I, phew, that is awful. How can he blame? Me? Look, can we be honest? We can blame God all the time on things. Things don't. God, how could you do this to me? God, how can you let this happen? We we blame him for a lot. So before we cast a stone at, stone at, at him, um, be be careful and sort of think about how we use it in context of our own lives. Um, even when it comes to church, you know, things in church we can. Uh, the music was too loud. That's why I'm not I, I just can't I, it it's just wrecked my, my relationship with God and I can't even read the word on my own now. It was too soft, I couldn't hear it, the air conditioner was too loud and and, and uh Mike he stepped on my toes, hurt my feelings. Yeah, we, we, we blame a lot of things. It causes us to justify um don't don't be offended, stupid actions. It, right? Am I right? We we I'm one of those. I, I, I I'm a participator. Um James is aware, aware of this, okay? So the text we're about to get to, understand James is aware of how we're blamers. He's aware of even back then, they're blamers. And um, he's talking about joy in the trial. We, we, Mike has preached on this for three or four weeks now. We, we, joy, we have trials. We will all have trials, amen? We, we all have the trials, and the trials we're called to, to embrace with joy. And you go, man, how can you do that? And there's times in my life when the trials, even now, man, I have a trial and I'm doing really good. And I'm like, man, God's bigger, God's better. And the next week, the trial's still there, and I go, okay, God's bigger. The next week, God's still there, and I go, okay, God. And, and I begin to lose faith, I, and we, we all tend to sort of do that, especially in time of trials. We lose faith, in, um, in a, and this is what I do. I get cranky when I start to lose faith and feel overcome by a, a trial, Y'all, I know y'all don't because y'all are amazing, but I get stressed out, and I will come home and I will hold it t- together. Great when I'm here at the office and at church, but when I'm at home, defenses come down and I, I, I can be sharp tongued with my wife. My wife's like, "Look, that's going, amen, amen." Uh, and and there, there's times when when I can, it just be. She asks me something and she can tell something's got me and I'm just not working right. And do you understand when I'm cranky, when I'm bitter, when that comes out of me? Do you understand in my life that is sin? it 's not just me going oh well the excuse is I'm going through a bad day in a trial the problem is when I'm getting squeezed right there sin is coming out and and Christ likeness is not so so let's make sure we understand the context because when we're in the, James has talked about the trial and that God is at work in the trial and he's doing endurance in your life but when we fail the trial do you understand that we will usually cling to this thing called sin and it oozes out of us in disgusting ways so we're about to get into the text right now, James 1, 13 through 18, and there's a lot in this text. And I'm not going to cover everything in it. And let me encourage you... Man, this week, dig in this text, because there's a lot. I'm going to touch on almost all that I can, but there's two main, there's two main points. I'm, the way this message is broke out, there's like four facts about God we're just going to talk about. As they come, we're just going to talk about who God is. And then there's two points, There's like, and I'm going to describe it as two bloodlines. There, there are two bloodlines that relate to our lives that affect us in great ways, and that's how this message is going to play out. But this first point is a fact about God but it's also a warning shot across the bow. He's talked about trials, temptations, how we need to have joy in the trial, that God's at work. But then all of a sudden, he gives us warning shot. He doesn't hit us with it, but it's enough clear for us to see it. So take a look. I'm not going to expound on a lot, but it's loud and clear. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, <clears throat> I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts. No one. Do we believe the Word of God is being the Word of God? That's the first thing you've got to ask yourself this morning because if you do not believe this to be the Word of God, um, then, then it's probably not going to affect your life a whole lot. You can take what you want and throw out what you don't want easily. But if you believe this is the Word of God, what the Bible says, if you believe it's inspired by God, the Word of God, it's true. And James says right here to those blaming in society, hey, but before you even go here, understand this let no one say he's tempted by God for first of all God cannot be tempted with with evil why because God is pure right and and and, and holy God will never be tempted by evil it's not that he's not even now he never will be he is God he is righteous and just so if we believe what it says in this line the question screams out because we all want a fault whose fault is it when temptation comes whose fault is it because there's an innate part of us if you're like me at all and maybe you're not you're you're, but you're holy maybe um and I'm trying to be but there's an innate part of me that when something goes wrong there's somebody at fault there's something I want to blame there's a a a, a reason why and James hits it here in verse 14 take a look at verse 14 but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I want to read that again. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Lured like a fisherman out there and he's got that lure. He brings in that big old fish, sees it and all starts to go, ooh, ooh, hello, hello. Enticed, it's like a bear trap. with Just this out there with a big old fat piece of meat on it and this bear's like, ooh, 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 you know? It's like. To put it in words, you understand me going to the cheesecake factory and set before me is a chocolate truffle tower cake. Now, it's already a sin how big that cake is for one person. And I know when I see that cake, you, you try to get in between me and my cake. You just try it. You know, you know what I'm saying? That cake is good. But I also understand this about that cake. That cake is like 40 pounds of, of amazingness. But if I try to take it all in at one time, oh, I'm going to be messed up. You know what I'm saying? But that doesn't always stop me because I'm enticed. And I'm I'm just lured and enticed. And this says right here, (laughs) each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own. I'm not forced to eat that cake. I want that cake. Everything in me is screaming. But we're lured and enticed by our own desires. That's how sin works. And for some, it's, it's gluttony. man. And I, I don't like to admit it, but I, have a, I, I run. I hate running. I love to eat. That's why I run. That's the only reason why I run. So I can eat more. There's a problem with my thinking. You know what I'm saying? There's gluttony involved in that. Oh gosh, what God, why'd you reveal that to me? Um, there there's greed. Man, we have greed, our own desire. Why? Because I, I want more. I want that stuff. I want that. We get je- jealous. Why do they have it? They don't deserve it. I ought to have it. That's innate in us. In selfishness? Dear Lord, mine, mine. We see it in our kids. We we don't teach our kids, hey. That's yours. You better grab hold of it. Dude, <laughs> not my kids, though. Everybody else's. <laughs> Anger, lust, bitterness. These are, understand, temptations that are in us. Um, so let's go into the first point, the tale of two bloodlines. The first bloodline I want to talk about. And let me relate it this way and just sort of walk on this, on, on, on this path. Have you ever sort of looked back at your family tree before? Have you all? Man, they are messed up, aren't they? <laughs> Most, time. and then you look around, and you go, "Yeah, we still are." And um, uh, if you go to any reunions, or no, not like I'm saying that about mine. Um, my gr- grandmother. Let me tell a, a story about her. She was from. She is a Fraser. Mary fr- fr- Fraser was her 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 maiden name. She married Joseph H. Walsh, the second my grandfather. Now, the 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 Frazier line is part of my history, and she used to always talk and tell stories about the Fraser clan in Scotland. Now, if I could speak with a Scottish brogue accent right now, I'd be all over it, but I can't. So, um, but, but she would tell these stories always, and she told this one story, and you know how grandparents, if you're a grandparent in this room, don't be offended by this statement. You know how grandparents tell you stories, and after a while you go, was that was that true? Was that all real? You know what I'm saying? Because you know, even when we tell stories, they tend to sort of get bigger and bigger, and you know, then there's a big war and we got stabbed. And um, <clears throat> so she's told me this story for years and years, and so I asked my dad about it this past week, and he told me almost the same story word for word, and then he added a part on the end of it, and I was like, oh, you're crazy. And um, so I went to where you know you can find the truth. Google. Don't trust it. I'm okay. But you can use it. And I found sources um, because I I learned that we were a part of the biggest inter clan battle in Scotland. Now, um, and it's called the Battle of Shirts. Now, the Fraser clan, if you've heard the Hatfield and the McCoys, you know they don't like each other. The Fraser clan has always battled against the MacDonald clan. See, I don't like it so much I can't even say it. MacDonald clan. (laughs) Now, uh, we had some McDonald's in the last service. when We almost had a drop down right here at this point. J- just to prove a point, Melinda uh, who, uh, and Anna they've been friends of ours for 20-plus t- years, and she is from the McDonald line. And we've always had a funny relationship, and now I know why. You know, she just always didn't think straight. But it's just making more sense. I love you, Melinda. Um, <clears throat> so I looked it up, and this is the story. Let me read the story of the battle between the Frasers and the MacDonalds. In 1544, the Frasers fought a clan battle, the Battle of the Church, Barnaline, in Gaelic is how it's pronounced, against the clan MacDonald of clan Reynold. Sounds like a soccer, soccer game. Over the dispute of chiefship of clan Renault. As the two clans met on the battlefield, the Earl of Argyle intervened. You see some guy in sort of a plaid-looking thing, uh, refusing to let the forces engage. But on their march home, the 300 Frasers were ambushed by 500 McDonald's. Sorry, Melinda, you're getting the brunt of this. 300 were ambushed. Only five Frasers and eight McDonald's survived the battle. They say the McDonald's one, but that just doesn't make sense to me, just because they got a couple more. Seems that um, seems certain that the Frasers Fra- came off worst, as almost the entire able male population was wiped out. Now, when my dad to- told me the story, I'd heard it from my grandmother. My dad told the same story, and then I was like, Dad, you're making this up. And this is, we don't know if this is true, but this is written in like three or four different sor- sources that I found. It says, led- led- legend has it that... Eighty of the deceased Fraser men left pregnant wives at home, each of whom delivered a baby boy. In such fashion, saved the clan from exti- ext- extinction. And the clan is, is, is big again and alive and well today. Interesting story, isn't it? We got some sort of weird... Thank you, Ashley. That was a really weird face came in. She was like, Ooh. Sorry threw me off there. Now, that's my heritage. That's where I've come from. There. Now, that's my Fraser line. Let me just share just a quick thing about my Walsh line, because I know you're so impressed with how tough we are. Um, the Walsh line, we've got a coat, coat of arms. Do y'all have that to throw up? There we go. This is the Walsh coat of arms. It goes bigger. Um, if you notice, there is a, that's not like a swan or like a bird of prey. That's a duck on top with an, a spear through it, okay? This is on the Walsh family crest, okay? Where the Scotland clan. And our, our, our saying is right here on the bottom, transfixus sed non mortis. That means we're wounded but not killed or dead. The Walsh is wounded but not dead. Dude, we're we're, uh, we're not warriors evidently. We're survivors, maybe. But both of my lines, we're, we're struggling. But at least, so, if you're in a battle with somebody, you may not want you know, us on your side. I don't know if we'll help a whole lot. That, that's where I've come from. That's my past. That's my heritage. We all have it. But in truth, can I tell you this? We all have the same heritage when it comes through through sin. and It really goes through the line of Adam. We've already read about how he sinned and how he turned against God. And when he sinned, he brought sin into the world. And that sin has been passed on to generation to generation to generation. And um, in in Romans three twenty three it says, and many of you know this verse: for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. All, why it has been passed on from Adam to us. We've all got a tainted bloodline. My 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 bloodline with the Walsh's and Frasers is tainted. Yours is tainted. But above all, else, it's tainted by sin, and it's been passed on. In Romans three ten and eleven, it also states: none is r- righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. We're lost. Um, in our humanity, we're lost. We're sinful. Don't lose that in the, the middle of this text when it says that we, we, we um, in verse 14, when it says that each person is tempted when he's lured, and enticed by his own desires, don't miss the depravity it's casting us in. Because apart from G- Jesus Christ, we are lost. There's no hope. And that's one bloodline that we come from. And it says in verse 15, this is what it says about temptation. What happens? Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We understand that, don't we? We understand that sin brings death. I don't really probably need to explain that a whole lot. We, there's a, a physical death that it brings. Have you ever seen someone that has just caught in sin, been caught in sin for years, and on the street, and how worn out they are? How worn out, just their body. The, the sin on the outside, and the, the wearing of it just wears on the on the inside, wears out to the outside. But there's a eternal death as well um, that that sin brings. The separation from Christ. In Romans six twenty three, 23 it says, "For the wages of sin is death." Sin brings death. An ancient writer once wrote this. He said, "A hey, Christian's baptism doesn't drown the flesh. Christian's baptism." Doesn't, don't, don't we wish it did? Man. But our flesh still craves. It wanders. It's enticed. It's lured. It's going to be that way. Um, so that's what we are. 14 and 15, don't miss how it points to us apart from Christ. That is who we are, especially apart from Jesus Christ. Verse 16 and 17, read those along with me as we move on. Do not be deceived, my brothers, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or sh- shadow due to change. Um, facts about God, understand this, because all of a sudden he flips the switch. He says, first of all, in the start of this, he said, hey, don't, don't say that God tempts you. And then all of a sudden he jumps here. And he says, as a matter of fact, every good and perfect gift, it comes from him. So He just flipped it. He said, hey, don't say this, but hey, make sure you understand this is who God is. Now, he says something here. He he says the term Father of Lights. Have you ever been praying lately the past month and gone, oh, Father of Lights? will you?" It's not really a term that we use, is it? This is actually a common Jewish term for God. Don't forget, he's writing to Jewish believers here in this text, so he's re- relating well to them. But as he's relating to them, the Father of lights of God, why would they call God the Father of lights? He's the creator of what? The sun, of, of the moon, of the stars. When the sun would come up each day, the meaning of Father of lights had much more weight to it than it, it sort of even does us because they would give it sort of the weight it deserves. When the sun would come up, it would bring warmth from a cold night. It would bring light from a dark night. It would bring hope. It would bring, bring help the crops to grow. When they went outside and looked and saw these stars that they didn't even understand what they were, but they knew they were vast and they were many and they were way away, it helped them to understand the greatness and how big our God is. I walked outside le- le- last night, and it was sort of a cool night. It's been sort of cool past two or three days in, in, in nights and stuff. And as I walked out, it was one of those cool nights where it was just really clear. And I looked out, in the stars—man, I couldn't even count them all. I mean, it was just—it was just dark outside, and it was just—I was just like, "God, you are so big, you are so amazing." So even in the midst of this, a fact about God is that He's the Creator of all, and, and much bigger than we can even grasp. He goes on to say, "Look at the end of 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 that verse in verse seventeen. With whom there's no variation or shadow due to change." Do you do you do you understand? Right there, He's saying, "Hey." What God of the Old Testament said is who God is, is who he will be. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The promises he said then are good now, and they will always be good. Very important, not only for the, the Jewish believer in Christ, it's important for us. When we read the Old Testament, do you let it affect your life going, hey, that's the God that I serve. That, that, that promise that he says, there's a squ- squ- scripture here that and I will say in, in in a great way wrecked my life. And I say wrecked my life in a great way because sometimes I think God will do things to wake you up and to shake you because you need to understand the truth. And when I read this scripture you might go, well that really just applies to you. But can I tell you everybody in this room it applies to you so much more if you will give it the credit it deserves. Now we've just read about here in James how God is creator of all good things and that, that he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I just want you to look for a second. Well, we're, we might have it on the screen, but listen to me. It's in Exodus chapter 4. As a young man, I was 18, 19, 20. God was beginning to call me to the ministry, beginning to call me to preach. And for two years, I said, no, no. God, have you heard me talk? Huh? Did you forget you you, you messed up all- on me, you know, I'll do anything you call, you call me to, but not, not, I'm just not wired for that, and so, so I was on my own reading Exodus 4, and here's the story, it starts out, God says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt, and free my people, you, you, you will be my mouthpiece, and I will use you to bring them home, so that they will have their own land, and they will be free to worship me, and he says, God, but what if I go, and they don't, a list, a list, a listen to what I say what if they don't believe me he says take your, your rod thro- throw it down he th- throws the staff down it becomes a snake he picks it up it becomes whole again he takes his hand puts it in his cloak he pulls out and it's all leprous he puts it back in and it's holy and he said use these signs to show that I am God and I am in control at that point M- Moses still does not have faith and in verse 10 of ch- chapter 4 this is, this is what it says he says, But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. I can relate to that. And there's a lot of ways in a second you you can relate to this. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or sing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. It says that, At that point, Moses said, but God, no way, I can't do it. It says that God's anger burned against Moses. Now, as a 21, 22-year-old young man, life was hard enough without the anger of God burning against me. And so when I read this, I believe that God's the same yesterday and today and forever. I believe that God's the creator of everything, of all. And what God created is good. And so at that point, I said, okay, this world's hard enough. God, I'll do whatever you say to do because I don't need you you against me. God ended up giving Moses Aaron to help him, but he was just like, Moses, you you dork. He didn't say dork. That's what I would have said if I was God. But can I tell you this? That doesn't just relate to a stuttering guy that's standing on stage today. That relates to everybody sitting in this room because there are weaknesses. There are doubts we have in ourselves because we go, I am not good enough. I'm just not great at that. God, why'd you make me this way? And the verse 11 should scream out to you, who made man's mouth? Who made him deaf, dumb, blind? Can he see? Is it not I, the Lord? That should take anything you, you go, well, I'm just not good enough. I can't do it. I'm just not, not able. That should take that and throw that in the trash can. Because this is what God wants Do you understand. And I wrote this down so that I would get this right. Um, if God is creator and in him there's no variation or change, then can I tell you that with a purpose that God made you with a plan and a, pr- a purpose. He made you with a plan and a, pr- a purpose. Where you feel feeble or inadequate, God says, lean on me and I and we will show the world how great of a God I am. Do you understand that those things that, that you, where you stop and go, I just can't do it. I'm just not able. That's the point where God says, that's where it reveals me. Do you understand that's that step of faith that you need to go with that's blind, that's scary. And God says, that's where that's where I'm at for the world to see. If you'll only do it, it's not about you. It's not about you looking great. Me speaking up here, if you think, oh man, that, that Dan is is amazing. You've totally missed everything because it's it's God who's amazing. And in our own lives, wherever he says go, we've got to go. We've got to do it. we've got to act. We've got to be who he's called us to be. That's why when we take this, these facts about God, if we don't apply them, What's the point of them? Oh, I know this about God. Well, you're supposed to apply it to your life. Let's jump to verse 18. This is sort of where we're going to begin to wrap wrap things up. Uh, In verse 18, it says this Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Um, This last verse here encompasses God's saving work in our lives. The first half of what we, we preached on today really dealt with our lostness and depravity and our, our own desire, our sinfulness. And all of a sudden here, redemption comes. Don't miss it in this verse because it talks about the greatness and how God works of his own will. God God is the one that has called us to himself. Do you understand that we, um, apart from God, are in full rebellion against him, going our own way, living our own life? And In, in 1 John 4, it says that we love because he first loved us. God doing a work in our lives and our hearts for us to respond to him. Then it says that he brought us forth. He birthed us is another way to say that, that, that God birthed us. Do you know that, that you're not just recommitted or, or slightly changed, that you are reborn, you are transformed, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, you know all things have become new. Old things have passed away. That, that, that's the work that he does in our life. And then he says this, uh, by the word of truth. What's the word of truth? If we look in the book of John, in the beginning was the word. John 1, uh, the word was with God. The word was, was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and apart from him, nothing was made that had been made. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You know, the, 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 the word of truth here is the gospel it's the it's the substitutionary atonement of uh, Jesus Christ it's the perfect sacrifice it's what no animal could substitute you for it was it was it was a sin, sinless man for a sin, sinful man and it and it made us right and holy before God it goes on to say this that we should be the last part a kind of first fruits. Now the first fruits are that first crop that comes in that they took that crop and they, they gave it to God. It was a great bountiful strong crop. They had been waiting for this crop for months and the very first crop they take it and they give to God because it's a symbol of the best. And here all of a sudden it refers to to these that, that he called, these that he, he birthed, he, he brought by the word of truth. He calls them first fruits. And do you understand b- believer in it here, he's call, he's calling you first fruits. Not because anything that you or I have done, but of his greatness. This is what he has done. But can I share something else about it? This book of James was written, believed to be roughly 15 to 20 years after the death, burial, resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. That's when the book of James was, was written. So these people People are the first generation of believers in Jesus Christ, the very first. So, who he's writing to, essentially, specifically, is the first fruit. They're where we've come from. Do you know that your you, your faith probably came from these first fruits? It came through them, Christ's death through them, and someone telling someone, and someone sharing someone, and someone living it out, and, it, and it's winded its way to you and me. Let me wrap this up tonight, Tonight, this morning. We're not, we, I'm not going that long. I'm not stirred that much. Um, I'm going to wrap up with with this um, this last, last story because I talked about the bloodline, uh, the first bloodline, the humanity that we've come from, but there's an, an, a, an, another one I want to wrap up with. In the early 1960s, a young believer named Linda Bailey was active with a group called Youth for Christ. She invited a man named Bill Yeldell, who was not church, to that uh, Youth for Christ meeting. They're going to show a video of some Christian athletes, Bill Bill Glass, I believe, and some more, that were sharing about their faith. That night, Bill Yeldell put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A few years later, Bill married Linda. They had a son named Gary Yeldell. Gary grew up, his dad was a preacher at this point, uh, and Gary grew up in the home. Parents taught him well. He heard his dad preach, and around the age of 10, around 19. Gary Yeldell um, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Eight years pass and um, Gary Yeldell befriends uh, a young man on his street. This young man was a very good young man but he couldn't talk worth a flip named Dan Walsh. He invites Dan Walsh to church. He goes a few times but just to be honest it was awful boring. Can I say that in church? And so finally uh, there's a youth camp that is is coming up, and so he, he's trying to talk Dan into going to camp. Dan really doesn't want to go. Church camp doesn't sound fantastic. But at the point where he says there's a lot more girls than guys, Dan, who stutters and is shy, needs all the help he can get, so he goes to youth camp. <laughs> God can use amazing things. <clears throat> and so Dan goes to that camp the fourth night. As clearly as I'm speaking to you today, God speaks to Dan and says, Man, I died for you. I love you. I've got a plan for you. And there was nothing clear that I'd ever heard. And the burden was lifted off my life like I can never describe to you. Let's fast forward 10 years. Dan's now in the ministry. He's fought. It's past the time when he fought off God and what he's supposed to do. He's been doing it for eight, eight years. There's a young man named Justin Keaton who comes to know the Lord through the ministry that Dan is a part of. As he's shared and taught, Justin's in middle school and God has gotten a hold of his heart in life, and he can't shut up about it. He goes to middle school, and at middle school, there's a, not the bass player we had today, we had a guest, a great guest bass, bass, bass player today, but there's a, a, a guy named Eric DeVore, who's been playing bass for us, wasn't here this week, but he's here most of the time. Well, Eric DeVore is the young man that Justin Keaton shared with at school. Eric and De- Devor put his faith in Christ and not only was Eric's life changed but his whole family his his parents and brothers and sisters came to know Christ not only that but Justin Keaton's so on fire that on on the school bus he's sharing with this girl named Fabiola Sanchez and Fit- Fabiola doesn't want to know anything to do with it but Eric or, or Keaton. Justin just won't shut up about it. And so time after time, and he even comes to me, I'm sharing with this girl, but I'm just like, dude, just be faithful. And he keeps on. And about the fourth or fifth time, she says, okay, go ahead and explain it all to me. He explains it to her. She puts her faith and trust in Christ. Three years pass in high school. Fabiola leads over 20 kids to Christ, not only just having them pray a prayer or or do something like that, but they are, over 20 kids that have become active in our, our, our youth group, and, and I, I still keep in touch with today and can see their walk with Christ just because she wasn't going to let it stop with her. That's my kingly bloodline. We've got a humanity of bloodline, a broken, tainted bloodline. But can I tell you, there's a kingly bloodline of the blood of Christ that's passed on and passed on. And I am proud of that bloodline. And I hope you take the time you now to think back and, and and figure out, okay, who shared with me? I, know, I wonder if I can find out who shared with them. Because in truth, it probably all goes back to the first fruits right here. And the whole point of this, as we look in verse 18, it's not that, ooh, this salvation comes to you and everything's great it's supposed to come through you do you understand that if it comes t- to you that's that that that's not right it's not supposed to stop with you it goes th- through you we're a part of the plan we're not the end all we're just part part of the chain man there's opportunities we we sometimes get numb going ah oh, i just don't know if i'm going to take the time i don't know if that's my my responsi- re- re- responsibility to share well if it's not yours was it someone's responsibility to share with you? Man, we've, we've got to get a hold of this. Just don't miss that fact. It, it wasn't made to go to you. It's supposed to go through you. There's a our bloodline of humanity and our blood, bloodline of Christ. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're a part of that. And uh, we're, we're, we're called to share. We're called to, I, I think, speak it. We're called to to live it. And we're called to, to give it. We've got missionaries right here um, that are across the world to, to share, to help, to reach groups that have never heard the gospel. How can we we be a part of that continuing bl- bloodline? We give, we support, we help. Man. So James, there's some amazing facts about God in here, and there is uh, such a such a loud speaking of our condition apart from Christ, how depraved, how lost we are. But in Christ, man. May we be thankful today for the many blessings of God. Would you join me in prayer?